RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode... I think we hide the value of what we do in insurance uh, like a light under a bushel. Um, And I'm absolutely persuaded that the purpose of insurance is truly inspiring and and energizing. And yet too often for our customers, it feels like a cost of doing business. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week... For our 100th episode, we have a very special guest. We have Bruce Carnegie-Brown, and we're going to discuss his role as Chairman of Lloyds of London. Bruce has a phenomenal CV. I do not have time to list everything that he's done, but here is a summary in roughly chronological order. Managing Director of JP Morgan, Chief Executive of Marsh Limited, Managing Partner of 3i Group PLC, Chairman of Aon UK, Trustee of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, Ambassador of the Historic Royal Palaces, Chairman of Money Supermarket Group, Vice Chairman of Banco Santander SA, and in addition to all those well-known entities, he is also Chairman of Cover, the motor insurance app. But he has two further roles that are particularly close to my heart. He is the current Chairman of the MCC, the Marylebone Cricket Club, which is the custodian of the laws of cricket and which owns Lord's Cricket Ground, the spiritual home of cricket. And talking of spiritual homes, he is also chairman of the Home of Insurance, Lloyd's of London, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. And uh, I have to say, Bruce, that you (laughs) you are far too good for this podcast. So why on earth did you agree to come on and kind of whatever possessed you to say yes? Well, you invited me, and that's a good enough reason to say yes, but actually also a real opportunity to connect with uh, broader audiences and to share perspectives uh, on the industry with uh, knowledgeable people. Anyway, it, it is a huge honour to have you on. So thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And in addition to this being our 100th episode, uh, it is also our Christmas episode. So kind of despite the fact that we're recording this in early October, and it therefore feels deeply incongruous to say it, but happy Christmas. And uh, <laughs> are, are you a Christmassy sort of person, Bruce? I'm actually a very Christmassy sort of person. In fact, my my family would would definitely suggest it's the most important thing in the annual calendar to me. Uh, and I certainly uh, spend more time thinking about Christmas than I even do about birthdays of my family. And by coincidence, I also have a birthday on the 27th of December. So all my festivals are focused in uh, one corner of the year. In which case, happy birthday as well. Thank you. Um, and, and, and another general question, which is in many ways irrelevant, but nonetheless, if you're at a Christmas party and you meet someone who has literally no idea who you are and they ask that, that fateful question, um, so what, what do you do for, for work? Given that you wear so many hats, how do you respond to that? Well, I'm, I'm very clear that my day job is, uh, is at Lloyd's of London and so I'm very proud to say to people that I work in insurance. Brilliant. And as you say, the main hat that you wear is as chairman of Lloyd's of London, which is a role that you've held since June 2017. Um, and Lloyd's is, of course, uh, an unusual beast, um, and it's famously a marketplace for insurers rather than being an insurer itself. So, in effect, Lloyd's fulfills two roles. It provides a roof under which numerous insurers, known as syndicates, 
uh, can trade and it organizes those syndicates and sets out the rules that they have to follow. Is that the basic essence of it? Have I, have I missed anything there? No, I think that is the crucial point, that it is a marketplace rather than a single incorporated uh, entity. And so we're host, as you say, to over 50 managing agents running upward of 80 syndicates, uh, all making their own decisions about the risks that they want to underwrite, some of those uh, syndicates being large and quite broadly based, others being very specialized in certain sectors. And above all, I think what's important about the market is it is a center of expertise. Uh, And if you are a globally recognized center of expertise, uh, then you have a huge opportunity to attract a business into the marketplace, but also capital uh, into our marketplace that wants to take the risks that we uh, ensure. As I mentioned, Lloyd's is the uh, the spiritual home of insurance. Um, it's not where insurance was birthed, um, nor is it where insurance even spent its adolescent years. Um, but through various historical quirks, it, 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 it seems to have been the place where insurance reached maturity, perhaps. Do you feel that this history... Um, and in many ways, the, the extensive mythology surrounding Lloyd's. Do you think that's helpful or, or a hindrance as Lloyd's evolves for the 21st century and beyond? I, I think overall, it's a it's a huge help. I sometimes say that um, uh, the Lloyd's building itself is the only insurance building in the world that anybody wants to visit. Why would you want to go to an insurance building? And it's partly because of all the history and the mythology that goes uh, with that place. And undoubtedly, that is helpful in us attracting visitors to London uh, who want to trade with the London market. And so I think the key opportunity for us is to align that history with the future. And and the thing that glues the issue together is relevance. Um, I think if you uh, cease being relevant, you end up being a museum. And Lloyd's has over 300 years reinvented itself uh, in many ways. And we touched earlier on, on innovation as a key part of that. And we need to double down on that as we look forward. It, it does sometimes make it harder to change business practices. We talked a bit about digitalization. I think that is now something that is being embraced by the marketplace. But we come to digitalization in the wholesale and commercial insurance sectors of the market quite slowly. And, and we've got some catching up to do. And so so I, I think one doesn't want to be a prisoner of, of one's history. But I think history can inform us about the future. Uh, It can give us experience to manage the future. It can give us an underpinning of self-confidence about our ability to adapt to change. And obviously, uh, Lloyd's has has worked in some pretty challenging environments over the last 300 years, um, and will almost certainly continue to to do so. So I feel that getting the balance right is the trick, not, not to deny one thing at the expense of the other, but to embrace the history as a way of providing a a jumping off point, if you like, to the next opportunity that is forward-looking in creating new history. And I, I guess what, one of the things about the, the history um, of Lloyd's is that, uh, is it true to say that Lloyd's is therefore the entity within the insurance world that has the loudest voice? And, and kind of perhaps it could be argued that it's it's the one that the governments may listen to the most, because obviously Lloyd's is, although it's Lloyd's of London, it has a global reach uh, and, and a global impact. And as a corollary to that, and, and possibly on a more personal note, kind of, do you feel that in your role as chairman of Lloyd's, that you speak on behalf, not just of the Lloyd's market, but of something bigger than that, perhaps even the whole insurance market? Do, do you feel that, that is that weight upon your shoulders, Bruce? <laughs> well, uh, yes, is the is, is the short answer, but I I hope not in any sense of trying to appropriate the voice of the insurance market through the role I play at, 
at, at Lloyd's. What we are, as we talked about earlier, is the home to a number of capital providers, uh, many of them based in, internationally. Uh, and so we're constantly looking at what their perspectives are on the development of the insurance industry and how we can help represent them. As you also identified, having 200 licenses uh, in territories around the world, we have customers all over the world. So the opportunity for Lloyd's to be a convener, the opportunity for Lloyd's to commission research on these kinds of risks and to share that broadly, uh, the opportunity to engage with different governments, uh, different regulators in different economies is one of the great privileges of doing the role that I do. And we take that responsibility incredibly seriously. And I think there probably is uh, a, a value in the independence that Lloyd's has uh, as being a convener of a marketplace rather than a direct operator in the marketplace. So, you know, a great example of that, I think, would be something like the grain corridor that we reopened between Ukraine and the outside world going through the Black Sea. At its heart, the problem there is in a war zone, uh, the grain was being trapped in Ukraine. The United Nations were the people who broke the agreement between uh, between the Russians and the Ukrainians to allow Ukrainian grain to be exported uh, through the Black Sea. But that would not have happened without the provision of insurance to the ships and the cargoes that went through the Black Sea. And that insurance has been provided by brokers and underwriters working at Lloyd's. And, and I don't think any other independent individual market in the insurance industry could have managed to, to do that. And, and in the course of the, the last nine months, um, 30 million tons of grain have moved. That is good for the Ukrainian economy. And it's very good for uh, emerging economies around the world who need to import that grain to protect their citizens from starvation and indeed to feed their citizens. And so over a thousand ships have been insured moving through the channel. And for me, that's a great underpinning of the purpose of insurance and its ability to engage across the boundaries, geographical, political boundaries that exist uh, around the world and do something that is genuinely good and purposeful for the global economy and for, for all the people that live in that economy. Uh, and we, we did a, an episode on, on the Ukraine uh, grain insurance with, with Chris McGill um, a few months ago. And yeah, it, it is it is a, a fantastic example of how insurance enables trade and enables the modern world to do what the modern world does. So often insurance is lurking below the surface and no one's aware of its existence. But this was one of those moments where insurance popped above the surface and, and made it clear what it was up to. So um Expanding on, on what you've just been talking about there, Bruce, kind of how would you describe the current role of Lloyd's in the global insurance market? So I think one of the things that's happened uh, most recently is that risk is elevated around the world. It, it's coming in many shapes and many sizes, and this has put it right into uh, boardrooms of businesses. It's put it right onto the desks of governments around the world, and they're, they're looking for help in responding to these issues. And you know, if you look at the first quarter of the 21st century, uh, it is bookended by the terrorist attacks uh, on the Twin Towers in 2001. Uh, and at the back end of the, the first quarter, we're in the middle of a land war in Europe. And in the middle of that, we've had a global financial crisis uh, and a global pandemic. Uh, these are extraordinary risks. And it would be surprising if we weren't going to see similar risks or risks uh, having similar impacts in the remaining three quarters of the 21st uh, century. So helping people understand those risks, helping people mitigate and manage those risks, building resilience into economies that help protect from those risks is a core part of what Lloyd's does uh, and in having a seat at the table to help discuss that. And it's not just about um, insurance policies. It's about helping with the delivery 
of risk awareness and risk mitigation. So if you look at something like a cyber risk, uh, a policy first written at Lloyd's now 25 years ago in 1999, um, and our first, fastest growing line of business at Lloyd's where we have some 25% of uh, all cyber risks covered in Lloyd's, one of the issues is how to keep growing that market in a responsible way as cyber risks change and become more sophisticated. And back in 1999, somebody described to me uh, a cyber risk policy is a bit like having a, a homeowner's policy where you could leave the front door open and uh, still you'd have to settle the claim. And so clearly where we're getting to in the world of cyber risk insurance is now uh, interrogating our customers about the mitigation they put in place to try to protect themselves from cyber risk. And just as you would expect to have uh, mortise locks on the front door and window locks and probably even a burglar alarm to protect your house. So increasingly, people are required to do the same uh, in order to get cyber insurance. And you know this is therefore part of raising awareness about the risk, but also in improving the mitigation and resilience uh, across the economy to these kinds of risks, which, as we know, is a clear focus of governments in many uh, territories around, around the world. So insurance can really help with this, this uh, raising of awareness helping people build resilience, and then providing, of course, the ability to put people back on their feet once disaster strikes by writing them a check to cover their losses. And in one of your earlier answers, you mentioned the word uh, relevance, the relevance of Lloyd's, and all these things that you're talking about. So assisting insureds with risk mitigation um, and kind of providing new products to cover uh, new risks that are presented to us in, in the 21st century. Are these the ways in which Lloyd's can ensure that it remains of relevance in the coming decades? Yes. Yeah, so again, I think it starts with the customers and the customers' uh, uh, risks are changing. And so the key issue for the insurance industry is to be able to adapt uh, to that. I think there's a statistic that's often quoted that about 40 years ago, um, if you look at the companies that comprise the S&P 500 index in the United States, um, the value of those companies was about 70% comprised of tangible assets. Um, and 30% intangible assets. Today, that's flipped around. When you look at the, the biggest uh, companies in the world, uh, often the technology companies, the Googles, the Apples, um, the Amazons, um, the value of their enterprise is much more in, in intangible uh, risks. And so you know, we need to develop insurance products that provide solutions to those intangible risks. And if, if you're really good at insuring bricks and mortar, which we've been doing at Lloyd's for 300 years, uh, you're going to go and get less and less relevant if you aren't also developing products that um, address the impacts of things like climate change, cyber risk, which we've talked about, um, and other new risks out there. Um, and I think that's quite an exciting part of, of, of what we need to be doing, frankly, more of in the insurance industry, but it's also one of the reasons why the insurance industry is an exciting place to be, because I think that level of innovation um, is increasingly observable across the marketplace. And as you probably know, we host um, something called the Lloyd's Innovation Lab within Lloyd's, um, and we've been doing that for five years. In fact, this year is the fifth anniversary of us uh, setting that up. And uh, twice a year, we bring in cohorts of about 10 businesses, typically startups or scale-up businesses, looking at providing services or products to the insurance marketplace. If I pause and give you an example of that, um, you know, one of, the, one of the products I particularly like that we are spending a lot of time growing Lloyd's is parametric insurance. So parametric insurance is key. Uh, the key to that is that it, it has a trigger and it pays if a certain trigger is hit. So if we think about uh, a river flooding, what parametric insurance does is it says, looking at our models, if the river rises to this level, the, the level at which you've set the trigger on your parametric policy, 
um, our models tell us that you will have been flooded uh, and damage will have been caused. And so as, as long as uh, we can see it through kind of independently verifiable data that the river has risen to a certain level, you get your check transferred straight to your, to your bank account. And this, uh, to me, uh, does several things. It reduces the cost of delivering the product, which ultimately should benefit the customer in terms of, of price. It improves the certainty for the customer in terms of outcomes, uh, that they will get their insurance paid when something happens. There isn't an argument about whether the trigger has been hit or not. Um, and it's broadly applicable. So we talked about it in the context of flooding. We do this for for frost around vineyards in France. Um, and we are able to model the fact that if uh, if there's a frost for three consecutive days in May, that the grapes will have been damaged. The yield on those grapes will have been damaged. And you know, historically, you, you would have had to wait to the end of the season when the grapes are harvested, compare that harvest with the previous year's harvest to see what had been lost, enter into a complex a series of conversations about whether the vineyard owner could have done more to mitigate uh, the cold. If you have a parametric cover that just says, uh, as long as there's been three three days consecutively below zero degrees centigrade uh, uh, weather, we will write you a check. Um, you get rid of all of those all of those issues, and I think that's a, a really compelling thing for insurance to be able to do to to provide a solution to the problems faced by its customers. And I mean, as we've been discussing, insurance is is all about risk, whether that's grapes or satellites or anything else. Um, and in an interview earlier this year, um, you were asked about what you perceive to be the biggest challenges uh, and risks that we currently face as a society. And you said, and I hope I summarise this correctly, you said that the, that the capitalist model was increasingly being challenged on two fronts. Uh, first, by its impact on the environment, and second, by how wealth gets shared, distributed. Do you think that the capitalist model may be nearing the end of its useful life? Um, no is the answer to the question. I, I absolutely believe that capitalism um, as a, an economic model has lifted uh, more people out of poverty and generated more prosperity for the world than any other uh, e economic model. But I think it needs to adapt to a changing environment. And there's very clearly a sense in which not all people have, have, have benefited from the prosperity created by uh, by capitalism, and therefore there's an unfairness in there. And then secondly, of course, in developing uh, the capitalist model, we have used up uh, a, a lot of the environmental resources that we have and, and created pollution uh, and, and caused damage to the climate. And this is increasingly a challenge, not something we knew about 50 years ago, but something that is increasingly a, a, an issue. And so if capitalism is to remain relevant as the principal source of wealth creation, uh, globally, it needs to respond to these challenges of, of fairness um, and impact on the environment. So let's discuss those two kind of briefly. Um, the, the first one is about wealth being shared un unevenly between hemispheres, between continents, between countries, and you know even between tiers of of of, uh, of society within those countries. Is there anything that insurance can can do about that? I mean, is that relevant to insurance in any conceivable way? And you know. Well, what part, if any, does insurance have to play in the consequences of wealth inequality? Well, I think one of the things that I, I believe is developing over time, has been developing for maybe two or three decades now, is what I call the nationalization of risks by government, uh, particularly in democratic economies around the world. And so uh, most recently, we've seen that when the pandemic happened, government um, 
leans into the economy by offering financial supports to participants in the economy, furlough programs being a good example of that. Um, and then once the Ukraine war started, creating a huge spike in energy prices, um, uh, we saw government lean in to try to subsidize the cost of energy. And even most recently in the United Kingdom, uh, we've seen people asking government to protect them from the impacts of higher interest rates in terms of their, their mortgage costs. And the issue around that is that these risks need to be uh, properly managed and properly funded. So on the one hand, we need to build more resilience uh, in order to make sure these things don't happen. Uh, again, a, a kind of pet data point for me is that the Thames barrier is uh, 40 years old uh, this year. Um, and it is obviously a one of the single biggest points of resilience for the London economy uh, against flooding. In its first five years, uh, the Thames barrier was closed, I think, three times. And in the most recent five years, it, it has been closed 24 times. Now, uh, those those are data points, but they signal to me that something is happening uh, in terms of impact on our in environment as a result, maybe of climate change, maybe of other things. But these are kinds of things that insurance can respond to by helping build more resilience into the economy and then ultimately, of course, uh, paying the bill for when the economy goes badly wrong. And my argument to government is that actually, if insurance doesn't exist, these burdens belong to the government. Um and what we do know from the research that we do is that when capital comes in from a third party after a disaster happens, the uh, target of the uh, of the problem recovers much more quickly. So let, let's take an example of a hurricane going through Florida. If all you're doing is recycling capital that already is in Florida to uh, repair the damage caused by a, a hurricane, you've got a zero-sum game where you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, as it were, within the Floridian e economy. If that capital is coming from insurance enterprises like Lloyd's in, into Florida from outside Florida, then of course we're bringing more capital to bear and the economy by definition recovers much more quickly. And so these are some of the kinds of things that insurance can do both to alleviate uh, uh, and mitigate risk, but also to address crises once they happen. Let's move on now to the second challenge uh, you mentioned. <laughs> now, we obviously don't have time to go into this in, in, in you know, the detail, which it probably deserves. But the challenge is the way in which the capitalist model is affecting the environment. And kind of that effect has, of course, become increasingly obvious over the last few years. But, but this year, 2023, has been off the scale exceptional. In fact, I was reading this morning in an article, some climate scientists described it as uh, gobsmackingly bananas. Uh, 2023. So uh, July 2023 was the hottest month on record and quite possibly the hottest month for at least 120,000 years. Uh, that's according to the UN. Uh, Antarctic sea ice has shrunk to the lowest annual maximum on record, about 1 million square kilometres lower than the previous lowest figure. Average sea temperatures for June 2023 in the North Atlantic were the warmest ever, 0.5 degrees above the previous hottest ever. And in the last two years, Switzerland's glaciers have reduced in size by 10%. And the IPCC reports make it absolutely clear, and I quote, climate change is a real threat to human and planetary health. Now, in relation to insurance, I have three questions, but I'll bundle them all together so that you can answer it however you like. Uh, the first, what impact is all of this having on the incidence of natural catastrophes and therefore as a result on the insurance market? Second, how should insurers approach the oil and gas sector? And third, how can insurance assist the transition to renewable energy? Um, well, first, I would say that I think at Lloyd's, we are already underwriting the impacts of climate change. So 
some 25% of the capital deployed in, in Lloyd's um, underwrites natural catastrophe risks around the world. And so we observe this change in the environment through uh, frequency and severity. So the frequency uh, of, of events and the severity of the events once they occur. Um, and therefore, we have every interest as insurers in trying to help mitigate this uh, deteriorating environment in which we find ourselves. Um, and so this leads to, to a couple of things. Uh, one is, how do we help the world transition? And so we talk about ourselves as insurers of the transition. Um, clearly, the Ukraine war has reminded us all uh, of the importance of the affordability and availability of traditional energy sources. And so uh, just moving wholesale into, for instance, renewable energy, which does not yet have the capacity to replace uh, oil and gas in the world's economy, would not make sense for any of us. And we've got to bring people along with us. And if the citizens of our countries cannot afford their energy because we are being overly zealous about cutting off the supply, then actually we would not be in a better place um, as a human race on that path. So, so our own view is that we need to support the transition. And that means that the customers we support need to have credible transition plans. And in many cases, of course, the harder to abate sectors, things like the uh, uh, fossil fuel industry, things like the aviation industry, um, are the ones who have the biggest incentives to begin to migrate towards using different fuels to source the energy supply chain and source that become the source of supply of energy to their their products and services. Um, and 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 if you're just a, a thermal coal mine and you're nothing else, you're not going to transition very far. And so those kinds of enterprises are going to be increasingly hard to insure, and many of them, of course, no longer receive insurance. But if you're part of a larger enterprise, say an oil major. Uh, where you clearly are responsible for a lot of the fossil fuel that is mined uh, and uh, distributed around the world, um, you are also now investing increasingly in alternative forms of, of, of energy. And I think most people taking their responsibilities very seriously. So the, the challenge for us is really about calibrating pace. Are we moving fast enough uh, in terms of addressing this issue relative to the uh, 2050 target of net zero? And how can we accelerate that? So at Lloyd's, we are trying to spend time understanding new forms of sources of energy and indeed decarbonizing uh, activities. So hydrogen would be a good example. Um, obviously, a very renewable fuel source, but one we're all brought up to believe uh, is quite combustible. Uh, and so uh, we're working on experiments with people who want to use hydrogen as a substitute fuel to make sure that, that it can be used safe and is therefore uh, insurable. Carbon capture, a relatively new technology to take carbon out of the air and, and bury it. Can we help uh, ensure people who want to make big capital investments in developing those skills uh, and capabilities? And, and carbon credits. Um, so a lot of people buying carbon credits to offset their uh, exposure, but people being concerned about whether the carbon credits um, will perform for them. Uh, and again, we're now uh, piloting uh, carbon credit insurance to make sure people have have confidence that if they buy a carbon credit, it really can be used as an offset to more polluting activity. And so, so I think I think this is about engaging. So one of the things we do is we chair the insurance task force of something called the Sustainable Markets Initiative that was set up by the King when Prince of Wales. And and one of the great opportunity that gives us is to sit alongside other verticals that the King set up in things like energy and transportation to understand how uh, climate change is going to affect these harder-to-abate industries and whether we can jointly develop products uh, with them. So a simple example would be in the building uh, industry. 
at the moment, insurance provides a kind of like-for-like replacement if your uh, home is destroyed. Uh, well, we're, we're trying to get to a place where actually we replace with better uh, rather than like-for-like. Like. So uh, if you've got uh, carbon-intensive materials in your building, can we replace it with, with materials that are less harmful for the environment uh, when your home is, is rebuilt? And I think this is, this is work that we're undertaking uh, across the marketplace. It's work and research that we share with the broader industry. And there's a good example of the way insurance, I think, participates in trying to help our world get to a better place on balancing the impacts of capitalism on the environment. And um, as I understand it, you're, you're in your final term as chairman, um, and you've just overseen the redesign of the, the main trading floor um, at Lloyd's, the room, uh, which seems to have been a huge success, from what I can tell, for, kind of from LinkedIn and kind of people's posts and whatever. Um, what, what are your remaining priorities? And kind of looking beyond that, in what ways do you think Lloyd's will change over the course of the next few years? Well, I think we set out... Um probably five years ago, a four-pillared strategy for, for, for Lloyd's. And I, I, I don't think there's anything I would want to change from that. I think there's more that we need to deliver behind that. So the first of the pillars was around performance. This is really about the financial performance of the market. In insurance, it's very easy to grow. It's much harder to grow profitably. And creating um, sustainable profitability in the marketplace is very important. The second is the digitalization of the market. And that process is ongoing. 2024, we'll actually see a, a big move to launch uh, digital capabilities in the marketplace, both for the back office part of processing the systems, but increasingly uh, the way brokers interact with underwriters in um, registering risks into the marketplace. And I think that is very exciting. We think it's a mixed economy. You, you, uh, you talked about our investment in the physical trading room. We're agnostic about whether the business comes in uh, uh, in virtual form or in physical form but we want to be relevant um, to a marketplace that is clearly changing and more and more of our business uh, is coming in uh, digitally and the trading room becomes less and less a place where people execute transactions, but more and more a place where people design solutions, convene uh, around in innovative ideas. Um, culture is the third pillar and, and so I, there's more work to do, uh, as you will be aware of, uh, in trying to make the, the marketplace more welcoming to people from different backgrounds, um, notably people from ethnic minorities, and, and women too. So 32% of women are in senior leadership positions, um, and that obviously needs to get to 50% as quickly as we can get there. And we set a target of 35% for the end of this year, and we're within reach of that, and then we'll obviously need to move the targets further out. We set a hiring goal for the marketplace around ethnic minorities to increase representation, and we've hired about 1,700 uh, people in the last three years from ethnic minority backgrounds into the London marketplace since announcing those those targets. And then finally, on purpose, um, you, you know, I think we hide the value of what we do in insurance uh, like a light under a bushel. Um, and I'm absolutely persuaded and partly persuaded by having done roles in different industries that the purpose of insurance um, is truly inspiring and, and energizing. And yet too often for our customers, it feels like a cost of doing business. Uh, and so doubling down on representing the industry well around its purpose, I think is incredibly important. And it's self-interested as well, because to the extent people understand the value of what we do, they're more inclined to buy the protection that we sell uh, and increase the penetration rates of insurance in the economies uh, around the world. Um, but I think that's also why people want to come and work in our industry or ought to want to come and work in our industry uh, and why careers in insurance can be uh, enormously exciting. 
before we end our discussion, Bruce, um, I have to move briefly from Lloyd's to Lord's, uh, that other British institution beginning with L and with an apostrophe, um, and the topic of English cricket. Uh, and at this point, um, I'm well aware that we uh, may lose the vast majority of our audience uh, who are uninterested in cricket, but I am interested in cricket. I love cricket. Um, and um, I'm never going to get the chance to speak to you as chairman of MCC again. So what are your views on baseball, would you say? Well, the first thing to do is actually to celebrate the strength of English cricket uh, at the moment, and indeed cricket in general. And though, although you suggest some of your listeners may, um, may switch off, it is actually <laughs> the second most watched sport in the world uh, after, after football, uh, obviously dominated by um, uh, Indians who are, who are cricket uh, mad. But I think also the versatility of cricket has been enormous too, that it can be played in so many different formats. Very few sports are as elastic as cricket in moving from, from a sport, uh, a, a, a match that might take three hours to one that might take uh, five days. And I, again, I think that's to be celebrated, but it comes back to the, the challenge you identified for Lloyd's. It's the same at Lord's, is, is members who like their cricket uh, in the five-day version not being quite so uh, supportive of cricket in, in the short form of the game. And, and yet short form of the game is the fastest growing part of the game. And it's also the part of the game that's generating money back into the sport that ultimately underpins uh, the continuation of things like uh, five-day international test uh, series. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of baseball. I think it has made the, the, the game of cricket uh, much more entertaining. Uh, run rates are faster. Uh, results, we're getting more results now, win or lose, fewer draws. And I think in the modern world where people have hunger for these kinds of outcomes, uh, it's helping to grow our audiences Interestingly, since the 100 was created uh, three years ago in, uh, in England, which, as you know, is the shortest uh, form of the game, um, at, at, at Lloyd's, at, at Lloyd's, at Lord's, uh, this, <laughs> uh, 82% of the people who came to watch uh, uh, a cricket match uh, in the 100 format had never been to Lord's before. And, uh, and so if we want our sport to be relevant, to grow, we've got to be enticing uh, and interesting to, to new audiences. And I think baseball has done a huge amount to help the development of the game. And you said earlier on that Lloyd's was probably the only insurance building that people want to go and see. It's the same with Lord's with, with cricket. I mean, it, it is a super stadium. Anyone who's any interested in cricket or wants to be interested in cricket, go to Lord's and watch a match there. It's absolutely superb. Uh, and that's not me trying to get a free ticket, Bruce, although, you know, if one's on offer, I will definitely take it. <laughs> um my final question brings us back to insurance. Um, based on your 20-year career in insurance, how would you summarize that experience? And, and what bit of advice or wisdom would you pass on to someone who is thinking about following in your footsteps and starting a career in insurance? Well, I think we touched on it before, but I, I think for me, and I came late to it as you observed, um, it is a fascinating uh, industry. Um, uh, insurance is engaged uh, in understanding, uh, mitigating, and protecting against some of the most important risks uh, in the world. And these risks are changing. So there's an opportunity to learn uh, uh, about new risks, actually to be at the forefront of new risks. Younger people are digital natives in a way that, that those of us who are older are not, for instance, and in, intrinsically understand some of the impacts of things like cyber risk that, that are more learned experiences for those of us who've been in the marketplace longer. Uh, and I think insurance has a real role to play, as we've talked about, uh, in terms of helping governments and, and businesses and individuals in making their lives more resilient, but also in helping them 
get back on their feet uh, after disaster has struck. And so for me, it's incredibly energizing to be to be part of that. It's also uh, quite a small industry uh, relative to something like banking. And so it's very easy to to create networks and to be connected in the industry. Uh, and I think that part of it is is also sometimes under underappreciated. The, the fellowship and collegiality, particularly of the London insurance market and of Lloyd's itself, uh, I think is a big part of why people want to work here. Um, and people also enjoy the history, the tradition as well. So it's it's got a combination of, I think, really attractive features to it. And those of us in the industry have an obligation, I think, to do a better job of marketing that to the next generation of talent that we badly need to come and join us. Thank you, Bruce. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Happy Christmas and happy birthday. RPC Radio. Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.